Growing a small business has never been easy. So, how can we build our companies and shortcut the learning curve? By getting advice from the people who've done it before. Everything you need to grow your business is right here. I'm Simon Lader. Welcome to the conference room. Good afternoon and welcome to the conference room. I am joined by Barry Mitzman. She is a social media consultant, podcast host, influencer, and content creator. She is passionate about creating compelling stories for businesses and content that reflects the brand. She has over 30,000 followers on Instagram, and there have been over 100,000 downloads of her Woman of Valor podcast. And I'm delighted to say she's joined us here on the conference room. Barry, good afternoon and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I want to add something to your 30,000 followers. I want to add a word there. 30,000 authentic followers. Something that I've seen and learned over the past few years is a follower count is not an indicator of actual authentic human beings following. It's funny though, when I check, like someone asks me if I can vet a certain influencer and I go and I say, oh, you know, there was someone on Instagram creator week. I was invited by Instagram to a content creator week. About 5,000 creators were invited. And one of the people on the panel, I was like, oh, wow, she has 76,000 followers. I went and I'm like, wow, 2,000 followers on a reel, which is like a short clip. And then I clicked and I'm like, 700 views and 2,000 likes. Something is very fishy here. I'm like, good job, Instagram. You didn't even vet your creators. I'm very proud to say that I built up a following of real people and I honestly love what I do. Okay, great. So, which leads me to my first question, which is every story has a hero and every hero has an origin story and you're the hero of our story. So, where did you come from and how did you get from where you began to amassing 30,000 authentic Instagram followers and over 100,000 downloads of a podcast? So, I was using social media just as a consumer for a number of years. And once I moved from New York to Las Vegas, I was expecting my first child, who is now almost four. I was working for an outreach organization under the auspices of the Orthodox Union, and they had an opportunity to apply for a grant for professional growth. Now you think a grant, whoa, big money. It was $250. Okay. Okay. So my boss applied for Dropbox space and I was just like, oh, like, I don't know what's professional development is like apply for whatever you want, like whatever you think is going to benefit you and them and make a sales pitch. So we're sitting there in like a coffee bean and I write up this whole half minded, not fully thought through. I want money for clothes because if I'm going into different public schools, trying to say that modest dress is cool and I look like a moron, then they're not even going to be open to it. So I'm like, give me $250 for clothes to be presentable. And you know, I might document it on social media. So they said, great, here you go. Send us the receipts, but we can't wait to see what you would social media. I'm like, shoot, I don't even know how to do social media. Mind you, my boss did not get his Dropbox space. So he's like, she gets money for maternity clothing and I don't even get my Dropbox space. So I always find that funny. I still laugh about it. And I bought a couple items that were maternity friendly and I realized I had to start posting on social media. I did not 
not on a tripod. I did not have anyone to take a picture. And my first picture ever was in the bathroom at the day school that is local to me and used my hands and reached them out to take a picture as far out as possible. I'm not a tall human being, so I didn't get that much. And like tagged where I bought the items from. And I just kept on doing that. I knew quite a few people. So I already started out with, you know, a few hundred, maybe a thousand. I know a lot of people and it's like a little bit annoying to some people like, oh, you'll be stuck in the middle of nowhere. And they'd be like, oh, Barry, hey, how are you? You know Barry? Me too. How do you know that? And once I had my daughter, two days after I birthed my child, I put on a full face of makeup and put on a dress and took pictures and was trying to keep up, you know, dressing modestly is super cute and super easy. And like having a newborn is a breeze. Mind you, I dealt with, you know, peripartum depression. So like starting with month seven of expecting her, I was already struggling significantly with depression. But one day I got dressed at about 4.30 in the afternoon and went to Whole Foods. And I said, hey, babe, take a picture of me. Like I haven't gotten dressed in a week and I need content. So I took a picture and it looked super cute and it looks like everything's going right. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to be really honest. So I shared like, this may look like I have it together, but I got dressed, you know, at 4.30 and this picture was taken at five and I'm really not functioning and I can't pretend like I am anymore. And the reaction I got was shocking. I had dozens of my friends messaging me saying, thank you. You know, I didn't know how you do it. Just didn't make any sense to me. Like, thank you for putting some realness on social media because everything is so perfect and it makes me feel like I'm worthless and incapable and a terrible mother and wife and human being. And like your dose of reality was extremely helpful. And that's kind of when I started realizing that Instagram needed a little bit of a dose of realism and started shifting my content toward that, you know, sharing my journey with Lyme disease, sharing my, you know, struggle with mental health, struggles with my own religious observance. I'm an observant Orthodox Jew and just different things that weren't necessarily spoken about. And then when I left my position at the Orthodox Union because of health reasons, one of the other staff members said, you know what, you should start a podcast. I'm like, what is a podcast? So thankfully his name is Jacob Rupp. And because of Jacob Rupp, I was able to start a podcast. And of course, with the help of my husband, hashtag husband who does websites. I made his Instagram handle and I'm very proud of it. And from there, I just started, you know, talking about my own experiences. And and if there was a topic that I didn't feel qualified to address, I would then invite other women to come on and discuss those topics with me and, you know, dispel the ideas of things being taboo and not spoken about, you know, for the sake of helping people and normalizing struggle. So by the way, that's fascinating. So how did you balance between what you were prepared to share for the, I don't mean for this to sound in any way exploitative, but in the name of authenticity, okay? How did you know where to draw the line between being authentic and if you like, being too open and leaving nothing for yourself, not, no part of your life that's just between you and your immediate family? So there are plenty of things that I have not shared on social media. I mean, social media is just a glimpse into someone's life. And for myself, there are plenty of things that I either, you know, like washed over with rose-colored glasses or just overlooked because it just wasn't necessary. When it comes to sharing more personal things, one of the things that I don't really share is about my marriage. Like at one point I was like, maybe 
maybe I should start doing a little series with my husband. And I was like, nope, nope, not beneficial, not worth it. Could potentially cause problems between me and my spouse. And like, that's just, nope, we're okay. I'm not going to like exploit my husband for the sake of listenership. Just wasn't worth it. But when it came to sharing like more intense things like my chronic illness and mental health, it was a bit of trial and error in as much as, you know, knowing when I was ready to share and be aware of potential questions and or backlash and or, you know, inappropriate responses because not everyone on social media has social skills. So I always joke that like my actual master's degree is in uh, special ed. And I joke that, you know, I still kind of use it to teach social skills on the internet, but it's more about figuring out when it is that you're ready to share something. So for me, it's generally when I've like mostly worked through it. And the main question is always, is this going to potentially help someone? Not, is this going to go viral? Not how many likes can I get on this? But because honestly, I'm at the point where thankfully I, I don't care and likes are not necessarily necessarily a determining factor of your reach. You know, you can have a lot of lurkers on social media who just watch and don't interact. So I know that, and you can also buy likes, as I explained earlier. So it's not the determining factor for me. You know, I always ask my husband in regards to boundaries and privacy, you know, I want to share this thing that happened. You know, what do you think? I always ask him, I never want to put him in an uncomfortable position. But again, don't really speak about my marriage. It's more about struggles that I personally faced. And I think every single time I've asked his answer, answer was, I think this is going to help a lot of people. Wow. So that's always been the kind of guide. That's been your kind of North Star. Always, if this is going to help other people and it's not going to compromise your marriage or anything else, then it's worth sharing. Sharing Uh, for the purpose of being trendy or being liked always has ramifications on your mental health and your well-being. Just not worth it. Your real life comes before your virtual life. Always. And that's very important for people to remember. And a lot of people don't. And it's very sad. So you started a podcast. I would imagine probably not too dissimilar to the way I started to this one where I just decided one day I'm going to start a podcast and bought a microphone and you know went for it right in fact I think the first couple of episodes I was still using the dodgy microphone on my laptop but how did you then go about building up a significant listenership So I did have the edge of already building a platform on social media. So by having a platform on social media, Instagram's my main squeeze, but I am trying to ease into LinkedIn. I don't know how to LinkedIn. Um, A friend of mine who's like, I don't know, he's like a king on LinkedIn, but like smaller on Instagram. He shouted me out on LinkedIn yesterday. And I was just like, is it like, okay to fangirl if like a king on LinkedIn, like shouts you out? like asking for a friend, but I'm trying to diversify a little bit, especially because I'm, you know, easing more into the consulting as opposed to taking on more and more advertisements on my Instagram page. So having that followership who was pretty devoted, even though my numbers, I started it a number of years ago, but have not been as consistent as I would like to be, which means I need to readdress my processes. And, you know, additionally, I only recently got the clear on my Lyme disease. So I'm still kind of like regaining all of my strength. So I had to take pauses, you know, with the birth of my son, with different bouts of health struggles. I do believe I started it on July 4th. For three years ago? I believe so, because my daughter is turning four in August. Yep, yep, three years ago. So it's been a little bit inconsistent. However, having my fan base on Instagram plus interviewing different powerhouses, which I've been honored to, and the fact that like people say yes to me inviting them is always just like, oh my God. 
that. <laughs> but having that as well and having their followership, who I am, or just the topics that I'm addressing. I have people who have been forwarded, you know, different episodes by their friends who are frequent listeners saying, hey, you know, I thought you might benefit from this episode um, of this podcast and, you know, check it out. And then a lot of those people go, wow, this is a great podcast. Let me start from the beginning. And that's what they do. And I'm very lucky that number one, the content is great and I cannot take full responsibility for that being that majority of my podcast is interviews with some incredible human beings, but also that people have stayed due to my inconsistency. But I would recommend consistency, people. I would, but I'm just not following my own advice. Good stuff. When did you hit this uh, 100,000 downloads? A few months ago, actually. So I know that I'm definitely past that. It was a while ago, actually, because it was convenient because I created a collaboration with a headwear line where we create, you know, headbands and some scarves, but mostly headbands. And we created like a woman of valor beanie, which, you know, had my little logo on it and like a little tab. And it released just about the time that I reached 100,000 downloads. And it was, you know, still under 50 episodes. So it was in like the 40 something episodes. And I was pretty proud of that. And yes, I know that there are other people who who had bigger podcasts with bigger listenership. But I also know that I am a very niche market. Like I am very much catering to, to women who want to hear about struggles from women of the Jewish faith. So that kind of like narrows down my audience. And I don't mind that because again, it's not about getting advertisements or sponsorships for it. It's really about getting that content out there. And if it can help one person, which I know it does, I get emails constantly from people who listened to different episodes who gained insight or decided to seek out help for something or found an organization that was going to help them. That's why I do it. I don't really make decent money off the podcast. Might also be why I'm inconsistent, but really it's because I just don't know how to balance everything, which is also part of like the main point of the podcast. The main podcast is like, you can't do it all, so don't. So I guess that's why people have patience with me. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I know it's been like four months, but I'm back, hi. And like, I'll have people be like, okay, so I finished. I'm waiting for more episodes. So like, let's go which is a little fire under my tochas and I get to it, but slowly, slowly we'll figure out that work and other work and other work and life balance. So what is the podcast? You are an influencer, okay? And as someone on the wrong side of 35 and have been for some years, forgive me, I'm going to sound like a really old crusty person here. I don't understand what that means, okay? So, I mean, I'm aware, of course I'm aware of them, I'm very active myself on social media, but first of all, how does someone, if you like, become an influencer? If somebody decided, I want to become an influencer, all right? And then how does one go about either making, building a, a living or building a business doing it? And then perhaps we'll come to in a few minutes, people like me who might benefit from influencer marketing. So if you can just explain how that whole ecosystem works. Okay, so I'll say for myself, I started by giving out free shout outs to different brands, different influencers. And when they repost, one thing I'm going to say is no influencer is obligated to repost anyone else's content, though some people believe that it is like I'll have someone with, you know, that I've never spoken to, like share something of mine and be like, can you repost it? 
because like they want my viewers to see their content and like not social etiquette, but okay. If people choose to reshare that content, then it gets the eyes of other people, you know, using appropriate hashtags and, you know, finding the right demographics and the content that you create is all very important. When it came to monetizing, I started by receiving free product, doing giveaways with different accounts. It started off like, I think I got like two belts made from like China, but like they upsell them. And that was like my first collaboration. And then, you know, once people saw that I had a very active following, regardless of my size, say at 2000 followers, I had a very devoted following and high engagement. Someone who's now become one of my closest friends and one of my best clients actually reached out to me, had a lot of faith in me and my potential and started working with me, sending me product and then told me that I should be compensated for my work for her. And I said, absolutely not. I was like, I was going to do a giveaway for her and everything and create content. And she was like, I'm going to give you $150. I'm like, no, you cannot. No, absolutely not. Mind you, this was like solid three and a half years ago. My daughter was just like still an infant and I didn't feel like I was bringing enough value and she was very generous with giving me product. I was like, no, I'm like, I'll take at most $50, okay? I did not believe my worth at that point. And then she also encouraged me to create affiliate marketing. She's like, okay, if you don't believe that you should be paid a flat rate, then at least get a percentage for the sales that you bring in. You know, I wasn't at 10K mark, which is when you have 10,000 followers on Instagram, then you are able to attach links to your content so people can go directly to the websites and bring web traffic and potentially sales, which is an extra benefit starting with the affiliate marketing. And then once I built myself up as well as my confidence, I started charging flat fees or doing a combination of a flat fee and affiliate marketing and then creating products with other companies, which is amazing because I have no inventory. I deal with no customer service. And all I need to do is show off these amazing items that I created with another brand. And it's like, oh, Oh, I never want to go into retail ever, ever. But, and then as you grow, your rates change, your services change. And like I said, I do provide influencer marketing services for different brands. However, I don't want to become the home shopping network which many um, influencers have turned into promoting all the time. And, and I understand they have to make a living, but it's a little bit too much for my personal taste. And I don't think aligns very well with my brand of also balancing authenticity and just real life. So with the knowledge that I've accumulated, as well as learning from my husband, who's a web developer and a digital marketer, and for our marriage, I have read many of those books so we can have discussions and that I know what I'm talking about. I've realized that I do have a knack for creating ideas for brands, figuring out who their niche market is, how they're different in their business, like what they're bringing to the table that separates them from the herd, as well as how to then market it and how to reach out to other influencers and create marketing campaigns. That business that believed in me with 2,000 followers was my first influencer marketing client where I ran one of her campaigns or one of her sales. I now run all of her campaigns. But that first time she told me that her sales doubled because of the campaign that we ran. And I'm excited to help other businesses. Like I've created a brand, like great. If I grow, fantastic. If not, fantastic. I really don't care for me about sharing 
content that I love and again, helping people. So to be able to then use that to help other people make money and help my other influencer friends make money by being like, yo, I have a client. What are your rates? I'll make sure you get paid before you even like produce the content because I love you and I trust you. Like that's amazing. Like I love it. I'll ease into that question that you asked about influencer marketing. Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Reddit, all of these places become news outlets, the new newspapers, the new magazines, the new commercials. Some people literally use Instagram as like Hulu and Netflix, which is why in certain areas of the country, like I'll see people and they'll react like I'm, you know, Chris Hemsworth. And I'm like, what is happening right now? Like I'm a human. Like I become a celebrity in their home because they see my life all the time. And I find it personally ridiculous, but like, hey, you do you. I'm a human being. You know that most of our city knows that and they don't really know what I do, which, which I find hilarious. But Instagram is people's reality TV and they spend a lot of time on it. And having people who have built up a followership, that's putting out like an ad in a newspaper. You're exposing people to your product and there are certain outcomes that can come out of it, you know, your product or service. So you can either come out of it with brand awareness. At the very least, you come out with brand awareness given that the person has an authentic following and shares their stats with you before you opt to pay their fees, which is very important. See their analytics and vet it first to make sure that you're happy and have everything written out in an email so that you can go back to it and each party is very happy at the end or not, but at least everything's written down. Then being able to, whether it's first at minimum, it's the exposure. Then if the goal is to get followers or views on your Instagram page, to action is clicking that at sign, you know, heading to that page. It could be web traffic and it could be sales. That's one thing that people also have to know. Web traffic is also a benefit and it's not an influencer's job to make the sale for you. It's the influencer's job to bring them to your product or service and you yourself have to make the sale. So what kinds of businesses do you think are more likely to benefit from influencer marketing? Are there any particular areas? I mean, I know, for example, I mean, you've talked about retail, women's apparel being your primary yeah. primary market, but could easily be an influencer for an insurance company or a landscaping company. Are there any particular market segments that are more or less likely to benefit from influencer marketing? So I'm going to answer that in roundabout way because it really depends on what the influencer's market and followership is. Right. If someone's into agriculture or someone's a florist or an interior designer, then a landscaping business is something that they can promote. There are many food bloggers that promote food products. I myself have promoted food products and it's so much fun. It's more of being like a lifestyle brand as someone who keeps a kosher diet. I can and do promote kosher products. I and restaurants. I've collaborated with therapists. I've collaborated with home exercise programs. My pages is very lifestyle content, authors of books, life coaches. It really depends on who your target market is and what type of influencer would have a followership that is your target market. It's about the channel and the audience versus necessarily the product. So is it fair to say that any business in any segment could find an influencer marketer that has an audience that matches audience? And as long as that match exists, then influencer marketing could be a fit for that business. 
Yes, I absolutely believe that. And it's also, like I said, about who your target market is and where they're at. You're not going to market like a senior living development on TikTok. Like it's a completely different age thing. Like Facebook would probably be your best bet, you know, and it's about finding the right fit. So whether that's doing the research yourself, hiring someone else to do the research for you, it's really about doing research and sometimes trial and error. You know, you can't always, like I said, at minimum, if you properly vet an influencer, and I believe that when you have a paid collaboration, the influencer should provide the statistics afterwards. I am always sharing screenshots of how many swipe ups something got, how many views it got, because I want to guarantee my results. If someone says, hey, we didn't get any sales on this product, which doesn't often happen because I also can say to brands, I don't think this is a good fit because I don't want them to spend money and then get no results. And there have been places that let's say I will share a dress that is out of most of my clients' price points. Still, the brand will say to me, you are the influencer that gets me the most conversion because every time you share, my web traffic spikes. So for her, she sees the web traffic, even if it doesn't instantly convert to a sale, because she also understands that there needs to be on average seven points of contact before making a sale. She sees that as successful. But if there's a place that says, hey, I'm wondering, I only got X amount of sales. Do you know why that happened? And I'll say, here, this is how many people viewed it. This is how many people went to the website. Let's try to figure out why the conversion, why it didn't convert to people checking out. And sometimes it's based on the price points. Sometimes it's based on, you know, user experience on a website. Again, husband has taught me all of these things. Maybe it's not clear what it provides. And again, my job is to make the viewership aware of a certain item. And then it's up to the retail brand or service to then convert that into sales. I'm not a salesperson. No one would then go to a newspaper and say, hey, I put an ad in your paper and I didn't get any sales. Or just like, you don't do that to a newspaper. You don't say, hey, can you just post this for free? No newspaper is going to give free ad space. It's providing at minimum a brand awareness, which is extremely beneficial, especially if who knows, maybe a few days later, a few weeks or a few months go down the line and someone remembers. I have people messaging me all the time. What was the name of that service that you mentioned that does X, Y, and Z, I was talking to a friend of mine who I think would be a really good fit for. And results aren't always immediate. Right. So a couple of takeaways from that. First is when you talk about newspapers or, or any kind of print media, right? I guess it's a little bit like, you know, when you're on an airplane and you're leafing through the glossy in-flight magazines, right? There are specific ads in there that are tailored to the people that are flying. And there are specific advertisements in there very often about the destination that you're flying to. All right. So if you're flying from New York to London, nobody in Sydney is going to advertise a restaurant magazine. Right. Right. So similarly, if you picked up a golf magazine, there are lots and lots of adverts in there for golf lessons, golf clubs. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. Everything appropriate to golf because that's the audience. And what you're saying, as you explain it, is patently obvious, isn't it? That provided that the audience is right then the medium will work as well. But again, like you were saying, the same way with the, if somebody puts an advert in a golfing magazine for a product, albeit a great golfing product, but either the 
store isn't well it isn't accessible or the prices are wrong or the customer service is terrible or whatever it is there are you know a hundred different things that could prevent the customer actually making the set and making the purchase nothing at all to do with the advert in the magazine right but it's also about having the integrity of let's say that magazine on the flight not taking the advert for a restaurant in sydney it's also a red flag if an influencer takes on any and every advertisement that they possibly can because it's more about making the sale rather than you know catering to so their viewership the their audience yeah no absolutely. yeah yeah and i think that also decreases the audience like if someone is sharing like a pen and it has the same amount of likes as a picture of them at the beach you know it's an inauthentic account. But also, if they're taking ads for pens and drinks and God knows what, and like golf clubs, when they don't golf, then like that's also not an influencer with integrity that you would want to work with because they're not even aware. Like one of the reasons why I'm also veering into the consulting is I've created like brand stories for brands for the same fee of posting it on my stories or on my page. And I'm just like, this is more valuable. Like I create like a whole story. You know what I mean? And I mean, that's something that I pride myself on and I'm not going to stop doing that. Say I had a brand for a tea company and they were first like, do you like tea? I'm like, I love tea and I grew up on this brand of tea and I want to share it with my children. Then I created an entire tea party with my daughter. I actually shared something on my stories recently saying, you know, there's like a slang term called like spilling the tea, just like sharing the details about something. So in all my stories, I'm like, so-and-so is going to spill the tea. There is so much tea, you'd think it was Boston. And I thought it was so clever, but I did a tea party with my daughter at like her little table and brought stuffed animals and created like a whole thing. Like this is the tea that I grew up with. It's hot and we're having iced tea. And like, I'm so excited to pass on this, like this love of mine to my daughter, you know, and my son, they were like, this is amazing, whatever. And like, I'll keep doing that, but consult them and give them different ideas. And how long do you think a promotion should go on for? And what are some other, influencers that you would recommend and how should I be doing this like I used to do that for free because I'm a very nice person but thankfully my time is valuable and I do like to prioritize my family as well so the time's a little bit more limited and I want to do this for other brands but I also want to recognize my worth and be incentivized by having to pay my bills sounds about right <laughs> so what's next for Barry Mintzman you talked about leaning into social media consultants so tell, tell me a little bit about that so I've already been doing this unofficially, like I said, for example, but not the only one. I'm just more comfortable about speaking about her. That first brand that I worked with, it's actually called Swaddleby, the most incredible blankets. And like, it's amazing. So let's say with her, I've run her Instagram marketing. I've been helping with branding and collaborating with my husband, who's also been working on her website to create uh, more of a brand mission, help with the target audiences, how to make it a bigger brand than it is right now. And I've been doing that with other brands as well. And, you know, particularly what's beneficial to have an influencer run influencer marketing is that a lot of these people are my friends and a lot of these people I have direct contact with. So instead of messaging them on Instagram and them having hundreds of messages unread, I just send a message through text or WhatsApp being like, hey, how much do you charge for something like this? You want to do it? And then, you know, of course, having everything official and documented and, and things like that afterward. But having that reach is actually very beneficial. But definitely my goal is to get bigger brands 
to create content for them and like a content calendar, as well as, you know, strategy and different points that they should be addressing in their content, as well as how to just make their businesses bigger and better. I do have a soft spot for small businesses. Small businesses don't necessarily have the budget. So it's like, mm, we could do a one-time thing. I have like an a la carte type of offering, but I am continuing to do my podcast sporadically. I am continuing to do my social media content because I mentioned to a few people that I'm going to like ease off the ads and like the blogging a little bit. And they're like, don't you dare. Like we need you. Your followership needs you. Like you're filling a need for a bunch of different people. And I'm just like, I'm not going anywhere. Just like a little bit lost. Also creating publications. I created for the past two years, I've been creating approachable, practical inspiration for different Jewish holidays. So the past two years I did Passover, I started with like really pathetic, in my opinion. And everyone's like, don't say that. It was amazing. But like in my head, it was like really big font, spaced out like 17 pages with like art placed in of like different ideas. And I sold it for, you know, $10 for a digital download. And we sold like hundreds that first year. And they're like, it saved my Passover. And then I looked at it this year when I had other contributors contributing recipes, different, like really in-depth, really cool stuff. And like, I was sitting on Passover reading and I'm like, wow, this is really good. And like, I did not have one person who said, I didn't think that this was worth the price or not one person, which is very impressive. No one was like, I ah, didn't fulfill my expectations. They're like, wow. So now I'm working on one for one of the high holidays, Yom Kippur. And it's a pain. But again, I'm doing it because of the need. I sold hundreds last year. This past Passover, we probably got it into about a thousand households. And that was without real marketing. And people are asking for more. So that takes up a decent amount of time, but it's worth it. Again, knowing your why when it comes to being public and sharing content on the internet, which can be a very scary place, is very helpful even when things get bad. I'm going to say that in a very clean, nice way. Keep it PG. But yeah, knowing your why when being on the internet that's like the biggest takeaway I can give here. Like knowing your why when being on the internet will help you persevere. That's great. Barry Metzman, just before we go, how can people find you? If people don't yet know you, how can they find you? Okay, well, now I can even say LinkedIn. Look at me. So you can find me on LinkedIn at Ooh. Barry Mitzman with two N's. You can find me on the gram. That's Instagram for the older folk at Bariana, B-A-R-I-A-N-N-A. Not my real name, just a handle on Instagram. And you can find my podcast at the Woman of Valor podcast on your favorite listening app or on my website at the wovlife.com. That's fantastic. Okay, and we'll make sure we post all of those links in the show notes. Barry Mitzman, the social media consultant, <laughs> podcast host, influencer, content creator, and uh, a good friend. It's been absolutely That's lovely spending time with you. Wish you all the very best, and thanks so much for joining us here on The Conference Room. Thanks for having me. Coming up next week on The Conference Room, I'll be talking to serial entrepreneur, David Levine. You just got to kind of figure out a way. You got to hustle, you got to push, You've got to drive. You have to balance between listening and learning from everybody around you. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you visit our website, theconferenceroompodcast.com, where you can find all the show notes, plus links to the resources mentioned during the podcast. If you enjoyed listening to this, make sure you subscribe so that you're always the first to know when each episode is released. Also, please take the time to review the podcast so the more people who want to grow their businesses can find us. To talk about this or any other podcast, or in fact anything business-related whatsoever, find me on Twitter at Simon Lader, 
or you can find me by searching for Simon Lader or Silesia Academy on Facebook or on LinkedIn. I'm always open to a conversation. Thanks for listening to the conference room. Until next time, keep talking.